You're listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. Good afternoon. Today we have Dave Berger, co-founder of Jimmy Brings and previously uh, co-founder of Suppertime. Welcome to the program, Dave. It's great to be here. Thanks, guys. So you've had an illustrious entrepreneurial career. Looks like you could do a few more rounds in the ring. Tell us a bit about how you got started. Well, look, I guess the first thing to say is when, you know, when I was starting out, we weren't, I didn't feel like I was an entrepreneur. I didn't feel like we were building startups or anything like that. It was, it really was uh, very humble beginnings. So um, I, my business partner, Nathan, who I've been in business with for about 10 years, he set out in life to become a poet and he soon realized that being a poet didn't really pay the bills. <laughs> so he got a job on the side as a delivery driver and it was, he was working for a very small company actually called Supper Time. So Supper Time, we didn't start it. Strangely, it was actually uh, established in 1985 and he was one of about four or five drivers working for this very small business uh, in the eastern suburbs. The, and the owner at the time wanted to get out and he ended up buying the business off him for, I think, about $10,000, something like that. And at the time, I, uh, I dropped out of a number of different university degrees. So it was a complete uni dropout. And um, fortunately... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, there, there you go. And my dad at the time, uh, he'd retired. He was he was in business. He was he had a software company, and he was in business. And he retired, and he said, "Look, you don't seem to be enjoying uh, uni. Why don't we do something together?" And we went out and we bought a furniture store, which was an absolute disaster. And uh, but having said that, Nathan was a friend of mine. He was starting out. He was he bought a business, and he he came to me asking for advice about. You know, how do you value a business? What do you think about this business? I said, look, I don't really know, but I'll tell you what I what I do know. Uh, and yeah, and I, I kind of liked the business that he was in. It was a very simple, it was actually a B2B business supplying delivery drivers to restaurants that didn't have drivers. So there was no B2C element. We didn't have any, there was no customer facing. Correct. And it was very low tech, you know, yeah, two-way right. radios, clipboards, all this sort of stuff. So it was yeah. a very, yeah, it was a very, inauspicious beginnings. We were just running a small business and trying to do a good job. Yeah, great. Wow. So how did that go and expand into what supper time became? So I guess what happened was essentially what we were doing was we're supporting little kind of mum and pop businesses to, to, to run a delivery business. So our pitch was, you know, delivery drivers are annoying. That's expensive. Uh, we'll supply that and then you can create a new kind of channel, a home delivery channel. And the way it worked is we charged a commission to the restaurant and the bigger the order, the more money we made. And what was what we found was that occasionally we would do these very large orders into the city and we would go in there and some guy would come down in a suit and we'd say, well, what are you, why are you ordering 20 pizzas? And they say, well, we're actually, uh, we, you know, we work at some bank or some consulting firm. And in fact, we stay back late almost every day and we always, we order dinner in. And Nathan, who's really a fantastic salesman, uh, he would corner these people and say, well, all right, what, what else do you, what other food would you like to order? And they would say, oh, we'd like to order from Una's in Darlinghurst. So then he went to Una's in Darlinghurst and he said, I've got a customer that will order 20, you know, 20 head, uh, 20 meals a night 
if I can get a discount from you. And basically we started to build the business really on the back of this kind of corporate work that we were doing. And we basically, we started to move away from the restaurants that you could typically get home delivery from, which tended yeah, to okay. be, you know, okay. the pizza shops yeah, yeah, and the Thai yeah. shops. And we were going to sort of more high-end casual dining, not sort of fast foody type places and doing deals with them so that we could deliver these to our corporate customers in the city. And, you know, in the beginning, it was literally we would email them, you know, here's a PDF of the menu and they would email us an order. And we thought, how can we do this in a more sophisticated way? Yeah, right. So we thought, you know, let's build a website. Maybe this, maybe it makes sense to, for them to order via a website. And, it, and to be honest, in the beginning, uh, we were so protective of the restaurants that we had that we actually considered not making the website public. We thought it was going to be this like exclusive club that only, you know, sort of corporates and those in the know would know about. Yeah. Um, but we thought in the end, we thought that's a silly idea. Let's just make it public and see what happens. Uh, and yeah, sort of as it happens, we we launched what then became, you know, the, the Deliveroo or Uber Eats yeah, type yeah, model. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really it was focused on, on, on corporates and yeah, that was the, that was the start yeah, cool. of the business. Cool. Um, and like, I guess you've evolved into Jimmy Brings along the way, like what yep. sort of led you into going down that? Was that sort of after you exited out of something? No. So again, the, you know, I think we were always looking for different business angles. So, you know, at the same time that we were running, I guess the, the kind of B2C offering of having a website where people could order, we were still running a B2B business servicing other restaurants to do their deliveries. Uh, we got into uh, kind of daytime catering work. And what we kind of realized was that we had built up quite an interesting, um, you know, set of infrastructure and technology and skills to do delivery. And yeah, so okay, we thought okay. to ourselves, what else can we deliver? And one category that seemed to be really underserviced was alcohol and uh, so we thought, you know, this is an interesting idea. Could we could we deliver alcohol? And the first discussion that we had with the the, the, the regulator um, was basically they shut us down and we're like, no, you can't do that. Um, but we sort of revisited it and poked and prodded and we said, well, it's interesting, you know, if, if a business like Dan Murphy's can sell, you know, take your order online and deliver to you three days later, then we don't really see what's the difference between us taking an order and delivering it to you 30 minutes later. And that argument ultimately prevailed. And, yeah, we're off to the races. And how long did that process take? Look, the whole thing was – it took a long time. And, and it also – it took a long time as well given that – it took a long time for that business to actually get anywhere. Yeah, right. Given that, you know, we're talking uh, seven years ago now that we launched Jimmy Brings. Um, this was at a time where – this was pre-Uber pre Eats, pre-Deliveroo. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the – there was not the sort of, um, I guess, customer ha habits yeah, around yeah, 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 ordering in yeah, everything. Yeah. So we not only did we have to, you know, create the business, we had to also create the whole category totally. that it exists, yeah, 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 that this yeah. thing, you know, this thing exists. So it was a pioneering. Yeah, it really was. So it was very, it was, it, it took a long time to kind of get all the, I guess, the legalities all sorted out and then to actually try and build the business. So it was a slow burn. Yeah, right. So Dave, thanks for sharing some of those early stories. It's amazing. We'll, we're going to ask a few more questions about that later on. But sure. um, the Jimmy Brings face, is that the face that I see here right now? That, that is. <laughs> and uh, it's become iconic. Uh, that is my face. Bands running around. And so... 
is it true that your nickname's Jimmy? How did you guys come up with that name? So the name Jimmy, so it's quite interesting. We, I actually think it's a terrific name. I love the name and I think it's, it's, it's really served as yeah. well. It was not our first, uh, it wasn't the first name that we, okay. that we were going to use. Did you rebrand or? No, we basically, at the time we were running Supper Time and we, at the same time that we launched Jimmy Brings, we also launched a sushi platter delivery service, which was called Sushi Time. So <laughs> we had Supper Time, Sushi Time, and we were going to call our alcohol delivery business Liquor Time. And we were going to create this sort of time house of brands. And for whatever reason, Sushi Time did get off the ground and actually it was a small business for quite a few years. But um, Liquor Time, I can't remember which element of it was taken, but the, so the, we couldn't get the URL, we couldn't get the business name or some part of it we couldn't get. Um, so we couldn't get that name. And then we decided uh, we we're going to call it Moonshine and we got the URL and we got the, 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 the business name. And then when we applied for our liquor license, the regulator knocked it back. They didn't like the kind of connotation. Uh, so wow. we were kind of desperate. We were desperate wow. to launch this business and we sort of – yeah, tossing a few names around and Nathan came up with the idea of a character and he, he, you know, he sort of threw out the word brings and I went home over the weekend and I was kind of running through a number of different names and Jimmy sort of felt right. And I said to Nate, I, I remember I sent him a text. I said, I think we should call it Jimmy brings. He wrote back. He said, I think that's a terrible name. But, <laughs> um, but by Monday morning, he was so exhausted from this whole process. He was like, all right, whatever, let's just go with it. And I think, yeah, it's, it's really, it served us well. And in terms of the, you know, the, the face and all that sort of stuff, originally it was going to be Al Capone's mugshot uh, was how the brand was going to launch. And our designer, uh, for as a joke, said, I want to take some photos of you guys for, um, to, to, to create business cards. Okay, and um, and when he he then did the next iteration of the web design, he then instead of he dropped the Al Capone um, mugshots and he put our mugshots on the design, and we thought it was a joke. And <laughs> and, he, and in, in the original the original Jimmy Wings branding was both of my face and Nathan's face, but in the end he convinced us that this was a more interesting yeah, kind cool. of an interesting look, yeah. and it was, and it was definitely a more interesting thing to go to the market with. But yeah, over time, I guess uh, we've needed to sort of simplify the brand, and we decided to keep one face, and it happens to be mine. So, so your mates call you Jimmy now? It does happen. <laughs> <laughs> so just one more about Jimmy. We saw Jimmy was standing for Parliament, which I thought was a fantastic, very clever guerrilla marketing technique. Tell us a bit more about how that came about. Whose idea was it? Did it work well? It worked really well. So actually, um, it, it wasn't. That, it, that was actually the second time we've done it. So we and did maybe it. You can just share with our audience a bit more about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, when you're launching a brand, you need to find ways to kind of get the name out there. And probably five years ago when we really were, you know, totally bootstrapping, um, really didn't have any marketing budget whatsoever. Uh, yeah, we, we, we sort of thought, wouldn't it be interesting during an election campaign to put up our own posters to, to yeah, get our name uh, out there? Yeah. And so, yeah, we, you know, for very little uh, expense, we went in, I think we, did, we printed, I think, 250 or so of these uh, vote one, Jimmy brings alcohol delivered in 30 minute posters. You know, we got a guy, hired a guy in a, in a ute and then with a ladder to drive around at night and put them up all over the Eastern suburbs. Uh, so, and I remember it was literally like Malcolm Turnbull, Jimmy, and, <laughs> and whoever the Greens uh, candidate was. Uh, and, and people were asking for, you know, where's Jimmy on the <laughs> vote cards? Yeah. And in the end we did get, I think one council 
did get upset with us and sent us a letter and, and a four hundred dollar fine or something. But all in all, that yeah, campaign maybe cost yeah. three or four thousand dollars. It was so amazing. cheap, and it, yeah, it got amazing cut through. Amazing cut through. So, yeah. so yeah, having done that five years ago, we kind of kept it up our sleeves and. Uh, we did it in the, the, the most recent campaign, and this time we went, you know, a bit more broad. We were in, we had that campaign running in in uh, Victoria and Queensland and the ACT, awesome. New South awesome. Wales. So, and everyone I've bumped into since has said that they voted for me. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a cool campaign. Dave for PM. Yeah, and Sorry, could you, Jimmy? <laughs> could you see like a direct correlation in sort of website hit, hits? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was a really, and you know, I think you know, as with any kind of campaign you need to tie a few things together. Yeah. So we had to do, you know, there was, there was good comms going out with it. It definitely got picked up a lot of people, you know, on, on social, a lot of people were, were posting yeah. uh, the images. Yeah. We had, I think we had a free delivery voucher code running that weekend and it was huge. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, again, the, as well, we, we also know that in general election nights are a busy night for us. So people are yeah. inside, they're ordering. So it was kind of, you know, hit all the kind of notes. So it was it was successful in terms of getting people to order and, and obviously a lot of people saw it and, and kind of remember us. So yeah, excellent. It was a good one. Cool. It's amazing, Dave. So maybe you can share with us some of the other marketing activities that were really successful for you over the years. Yeah, I find one of the interesting things, one of the first marketing campaigns we did, well, when we launched, we really didn't know what channels and, and, and seven years ago, um, yeah. there weren't that many kind of digital marketing channels. People certainly weren't searching for alcohol home yeah. delivery. And during the supper time here, uh, we'd done quite a lot of work. We, we'd had quite a lot of success with um, direct mail. So, you know, mailbox drops, very old school. And we thought we'll try something in that space for Jimmy Brings. I'm sure you've seen the Jimmy Brings fridge magnets. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. On, one on my fridge. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and I was, there's a kind of interesting story about that because when we were doing that campaign, we got some support from a tobacco company to help sort of fund the campaign. And in our naivety, the tobacco company said, can you put on the magnet, you know, 30-minute alcohol and tobacco delivery? And we said, okay, you're paying for half the campaign. Well, sure, we, we didn't, we were so naive, we didn't really know. And so we went and printed these things in China and it was, it was a huge expense for us. You know, I think it was yeah, 30 or $40,000. It was like a big, big deal for us to kind of invest in this. And we, we received all these, I don't know, 50,000 fridge magnets and we were uh, ready to hand them out. And we drew up a big map of Sydney and we said, we're going to start in the, the, the most sort of eastern point and work, work our way west until we run out of magnets. So the first suburb that we dropped in was in Vaucluse. And the day after the, 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 the first box of magnets went out, we received a phone call from the, it was the legal counsel at the New South Wales Department of Health. <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but do you realize that by putting the word tobacco on your advertising material, you're in breach of the, the tobacco advertising regulation? And she said, on that basis, you cannot distribute this material. And we were like, this is crazy. And I said to, I was very honest. I said, look, to be honest with you, you know, don't, don't throw the book at us. Uh, we've only handed out one box, you know, yeah, don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll stop. And I, I called Nathan and he was traveling and I said, told him the story and he straight away said, well, we've just got to hand it, hand it all out, like straight away, you know, let's just get them. <laughs> we'll get it all out there. And I said, well, look, I'm really sorry to tell you, Nathan, but I've already told the 
powers that be that we actually haven't handed them out and I think it would be a problem if we now handed it all out. And so we kind of didn't know what to do, but we were sort of thinking, how are we going to get around this? So I think early the next week, I got back in touch with this person who called me and I said, look, I got to ask you, you know, you were, you were going to send us a letter telling us, you know, cease and desist. We haven't received anything. I want to know from you, is there any way we can get around this? Can we put a sticker somewhere? Can we just cross it out? And she was very kind. And she said, look, David, what I will tell you is that I am drafting you a letter. And in that letter, it will tell you to, to stop handing this out. What you do between now and receiving that letter <laughs> is up to you. And I said, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Yeah. She was very kind. And so, yeah, within 24 hours, we, we mobilized I don't know, 20 or 30 people to, to hand out all of these magnets in, a, in literally like a 48-hour period. And that launched Jimmy Brings. So prior to that, it was like one or two orders, you know, a day. And suddenly it was 10, 20 orders and it was happening. And so it was just interesting. You know, it was a very, it was a pure kind of online business. But um, yeah, that kind of offline, very analog, very old school marketing yeah. is what really launched the business. So maybe I've got one more question on marketing. No, no, good. The buzzword at the moment is IRL, in real life, right? Marketing. And you've got a lot of vans. How many vans have you guys got running around at the moment? I think in Sydney there's about 20. Yeah, right. And has that been a big part of the success of the brand as well, the business? Huge. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Any so advice for you know, budding entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, my advice would be put your face on a van and hope <laughs> <laughs> for the best, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, very serendipitous. So, you know, so yes, it's been a huge, you know, if you ask anyone, how do you know Jimmy Brings? Like half the people would say they, they know us from the vans. But again, you know, how did the van, the van business, the van model is actually something that was not what we set out to do. But basically, you know, we... We started off with a little office in, in essentially in Bondi or just on the corner of, uh, in Belvey Hill. And, you know, it meant that we could only service a very small area if, if drivers were coming and picking up from that office. And because we're, you know, very much into sort of logistics and, and that sort of thing, we thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we put stock inside a refrigerated vehicle so that we would never have to pick up from anywhere, yeah, right? And so we thought, oh, we'll give it a try. And we went and bought some secondhand complete like pile of junk from rural Victoria and we drove it up to Sydney and we fitted it out and we, you know, off we went and we, we, we deployed that vehicle a little bit further out from our normal delivery zone. And we we're like, all right, we can expand our, our, our area. And very quickly it became apparent that this was a fantastic logistics model. That yeah, you right. could do yeah, so absolutely. many more deliveries yeah. per hour. Uh, so we thought, oh, wow, this is, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. So in, in a sense, it was sort of, there was a few different, you know, yes, it turned out to be an excellent, I guess, marketing device, but really it, it's the, the purpose it served was much more about, you know, that I guess making the business model work. And yeah, in the end it was, yeah, it was, it was terrific for our, our branding and kind of just general recognition. So like in the, in, in the early days when you were sort of starting, sort of how quickly did it take you to get to sort of some level of scale? These things take a long, 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 long time, especially, you know, we Neither Supper Time or Jimmy Brings were funded. So we know it was all kind of bootstrapped and, you know, we were funding it from our own cash flow. And yeah, these things take a long time. And I think that, you know, you need to be realistic about how long things take. You know, there's so many, so many times people tell me they want to open a website or an app or something like that. And I, 
uh, you know, my the first thing I say to them is, well, expect absolutely nothing yes. to happen, yeah. you know, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it really, it really takes a long time. So I think as we've become more experienced and, and certainly as we launch, you know, into new cities, we have a much more developed playbook as to how to do things. So I think that can make things happen faster. But in general, it's it's really comes down to a lot of patience and kind of persistence. Yeah, okay. And so was it six months, a year, where you sort of started to feel like there was scale? I think, well, yeah, I, I think that, look, there, I think there were various kind of points at which you realized yeah. this could be something. Yeah. When we built these businesses, we certainly when we launched them, the the idea was that we would service the eastern suburbs of Sydney with a restaurant delivery service and an alcohol delivery service and that this was a good area to service and there was never any true ambition to to, to go beyond that. Yeah, right. Okay. And it just evolved as the business evolved and your idea and concept evolved. Yeah, and I think it's an – and in a lot of ways it's been an interesting learning in that – we didn't realize that we'd actually built a very scalable model. And I think there's probably a lot of other businesses out there where, you know, you might be a bit blinkered and sort of be so focused on doing what you're doing in your little area yeah, and yeah. not not actually realize that this is a scalable concept yeah, yeah, yeah. that has, you know, that has potential, you know, global kind of yeah. uh, potential. So. Yeah, I think we're a little bit more wise to that now, but certainly in the early days that wasn't yeah, yeah, on the agenda. Yeah. And early on, did you have like your own development team? Do you do any development or was it? Yeah, no, the, we've tried everything. We are, so no, I'm not a developer. Um, I guess I would call myself now like a, you know, semi proficient kind of tech person, but certainly not a, not an engineer. We, we've tried everything. We've, you know, we've worked with Australian developers. We've worked with offshore teams. I think what ended up working for us was to, have a offshore team whom we built a long-term relationship on retainer. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think it's it's very tempting to sort of think about any tech development as like some discrete project that you've got to get someone to go and build yeah. it and yeah. then it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. never done. Yeah. So, yeah, so you need to have an ongoing relationship and, and the team that we work with who are based out of India, uh, we've been working with them for six or seven years yeah. now and yeah and I you know it, it's certainly it's not a perfect solution yeah. it certainly has its challenges but I think if you're you know if you're starting it if you're bootstrapping and it's yeah you don't have a lot of money to throw at the problem yeah. you know using an offshore team and getting 80% of what you want for 30% of the price totally it's yeah, yeah. absolutely it. absolutely yeah, yeah cool that's yeah, really interesting seeing how different businesses do different things and the way they sort of start up yeah Dave, we've all had hairy moments in our businesses. Can you share one or two with us and um, how you got out of those situations? Wow. Um, <laughs> I think, oh, look, you know, that, that story I told before yeah. about the, the marketing material almost having to be thrown away, you know, that was certainly one. Look, I, uh, it's, all, I, all I can actually say is that if you're going to be in business, it's just, a, it's just a succession of hairy moments, I think. There's, it's really... Uh, there are just that many problems to be overcome and that's actually the whole art of it is is kind of recognizing that, you know, it, yeah, it, it's just, there's just a succession of problems. Yeah. If I had to think about, uh, you know, I think when we were exiting both businesses, you know, negotiating those deals, you know, all of those deals, they're all on a knife edge. They Both of them could have fallen over yeah. at any moment. 
Um, the implications of them falling over would have would have been terrible. So, yeah, there's just there are just that many moments. It's hard to it's hard to even yeah it's hard to even think of uh, of any in particular. That's really interesting. So looking, so basically, it's just a roller coaster, is what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely, <laughs> and you just become problem solvers, really. That's right. I you're think really I, good problem solvers grow successful businesses. Exactly. I think that yeah, it's it's sort of like you know, I guess if I had to sort of almost the art form is you know making more right decisions than wrong, and and just being able to just overcome yeah. each challenge as it comes yeah. and kind of see a way around it or over it, and yeah, just exactly as you said, just yeah. a lot of problem solving. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So you've mentioned a few sort of, you know, things that have been really successful for you guys um, in your business, the, the magnets that got you launched, et cetera. Um, but looking back, was there something that you built or did that you sort of look back now and say, well, that was a critical factor in your success? Yes, I do. I think that, you know, I think as I mentioned, the, the start of our, our business in terms of the logistics of it was very, very old school. So, you know, it was two-way radios and clipboards and then Excel and it was very, very rudimentary. And there was one point where we decided that we'd like to know where the drivers are and we'd like to track their mobile phones via the GPS on the phone. And this was not being done at all and it was, yeah, it was quite groundbreaking stuff and we we did that and we you know we were able to offer supper time was offering you know live gps tracking maybe seven years ago or something yeah, like that pretty, like it was very early, early yeah, on right remember and we were backyard hacks yeah. kind of putting this together and it was hard to do and we put that together and that really kind of opened up the whole potential that, that's actually what made home delivery in my opinion scalable totally that was the yeah, that was the breakthrough. Yeah. So uh, I guess being early on that little innovation yeah, yeah, yeah. and kind of harnessing what that could do in terms of obviously providing a customer with an awesome experience, but also the ability to control you know hundreds if not thousands of drivers and you, know, you, you couldn't do yeah, it without yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was key. Yeah, I can't imagine running a logistics company without the sort of the tech, just like absolute. Yeah, no, you, you you basically, you know, we used to run a team of 20 or so drivers with two-way radios and it gets to a point where yeah, beyond a certain size, you can't, no. you're not going to work out what's going on. So that was, in the old days, that was as, kind of as big as any yep. dispatch team could be, yeah, one yeah. guy and 20 people. Maybe you yep. could repeat that a few times, but it yeah. wasn't terribly yeah. scalable. Yeah. The other thing I would say is we also made a very deliberate decision at some point when we launched the Suppertime website to take really beautiful photos and that again that was quite a um it was quite an expensive process and you know so was, photos of the food or yeah, yeah beautiful okay. photos of the yeah. food and really celebrate the food photograph it beautifully style it beautifully and you know i often say that you know half the reason why supper time was acquired was because it looked really nice and it caught your attention and you know there were other players doing what we were doing in australia at the time but yeah i think taking pride in, yeah, yeah, in the product yeah. or something yeah, made yeah. a huge difference and yeah again it was sort of a big investment for us but it, it was a really yeah it really paid off yeah cool so you've been through two exits now. How did that they start? Like, did you just get an email or a call? They were both a bit different. So the supper time exit was hilarious because it was literally, we literally got a LinkedIn message from some guy saying, hi, you know, we're coming to Australia where we're going to crush you. 
So are you interested in us acquiring you? <laughs> and we were like, oh, that's a little bit aggressive. And this, yeah, this M&A guy from Rocket Internet, he wanted to talk to us. He wanted to make a time to speak to us. And I remember the night, you know, we agreed to a certain time, but we ended up, it was, a, it was like some rainy sort of, I don't know, Thursday night or something. And we were slammed and it meant all hands on deck. We were, you know, I was in the dispatching room and yeah, right. everything was completely out of control. Yeah. And I could see this this number calling on my phone. I was like, <laughs> I can't answer this call. Like I have to, I got to deal with the business. And eventually he actually ended up calling through our customer service number and finally like talking to us. And I remember saying to him, look, you know, I'm yeah, happy to have this phone call, but I cannot talk to you right now. Like, we are absolutely slammed. Best sell job ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> business, is, business is booming. Yeah, can we, can we speak later? And yeah, and so that was... Yeah, that that literally was a, a LinkedIn request. Yeah, okay. um, and then I guess being acquired by Woolies was, was quite different in that we reached out to them soon after leaving Fedora. So supper time became Fedora. Soon after leaving Fedora, we got in touch with Woolies in the context of having a conversation about a fundraise, and you know, would they be interested in investing? They weren't at that time, but we'd had established uh, a convers- you know, we, we had a, established a relationship. Yeah, okay. And then we got back in touch with them, you know, about nine months or a year later uh, towards we, we were very close to completing a fundraise and we just got in touch to say, hey, where are you at? And, yeah, we got, got, yeah, right. got involved in awesome. the conversation again that ended up in, in us being acquired. So, yeah, one was very much, you know, a bolt from the blue. The other one, I think, you know, we were, yeah, quite – we, we made that one happen. Yeah, okay, okay. And like that due diligence process that you go through and like how long <laughs> did that, that take it? How brutal was it? Well, again, so I mean the Rocket Internet deal was probably like the strangest due diligence process ever in that the due diligence took place post-acquisition. Oh, my gosh. And, and pre-acquisition, I mean we sent them numbers but – the actual verification of those numbers took place after the acquisition. We just had to personally guarantee everything okay, okay. Uh, to make sure that it was, yeah, yeah, it was okay. true. We had one face-to-face discussion with a guy who flew in from Singapore. We spoke to him for about two hours. Other than that, we never had any face-to-face wow. dealings with anybody. Wow. It was very light touch, very quick deal. The and How quickly did you agree on price? From memory... I think I think the the price part of it happened probably within a a week or so okay. of starting a discussion. We then had to sort of nut out the terms of the deal, but I think from start to finish, it might have been only six weeks or something like yeah, that. Right. It was very very fast. Wow. Wow. Uh, the Woolworths experience was the complete opposite. I don't think a business of our size has ever been put through as much due diligence as that. <laughs> And, you know, understandably so, you know, they're very kind of responsible corporate entity yes. and they, they cross their T's and dot their I's. And, yeah, that took longer and, yeah, it was much more thorough. But I think, you know, you've got to kind of understand what the, the nature of both of those acquisitions were. So the nature of the supper time acquisition was all about speed to market. So yeah. there was you were you were destroying value yeah, yeah, yeah. by wasting time totally. in a long due diligence process. So they and they completely, you know, they're the masters of of of, of execution and and speed and urgency. Whereas I guess for the Woolies acquisition, that was more about you know acquiring a unique set of skills and IP and and know how and and also 
you know, they they had to learn about the business model and understand whether this is was a proper business yeah, model. Yeah, so yeah. they really yeah. had to yeah. kind of go through a completely different process to end up at a at an acquisition. Yeah, right. And like what advice would you give to other founders in terms of going through an acquisition process? Like is there something that you learned that you're like, oh, I wish I knew this before I started this process? Yeah, I think well, first thing is always be ready. So you've got to have your data in good shape. You've got to have your your corporate structure in good shape, you know. So, yeah, anything could happen at any time. So you've got to make sure that, you know, these these things are in order. Look, the other, you know, all that, the only other thing I would say is like hold on to your hold on to your hat because it's a it's a roller coaster ride and you know, you can have a bunch of, you know, investment banker advisors in the room and all that sort of stuff, which we never really did. But the, I guess the point is it doesn't matter, you know, how, you know, strong your 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 team of advisors is. At the end of the day, you still have to make the decision yes. about price, terms. Yes. Are you going to, yes. are you not going to? No one is going to make that decision yeah. for you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty stressful yeah. and um, it's stressful and exciting. It's complicated and look, the, the, only other, the only other thing I would say is probably you're better off, you know, talking to multiple parties than just to one. But you know, each opportunity comes when it comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, exactly. it, is, it is what it is. Exactly. Dave, we've often heard the advice that you know, building a great business and the opportunities will will follow. Um, do you believe that advice or do you think an exit something that you have to actively work on? Is it something that you guys work towards? I think that, I mean, we certainly, well, certainly when we started Supper Time and Jimmy Brings, we had no concept of an exit. That was not part yeah. of the plan. Yeah. Um, so I think I definitely, I actually think it would, look, I think there probably are some situations where engineering a business for an exit makes sense. It's probably... I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that as an idea. It doesn't feel like you're kind of doing justice to like what you're doing. Yeah, I, I've always said to anyone, you know, what if they say, what's your advice in business? It's very simple. It's like, just do a good job yeah. of what you're doing. Good, A good customer experience and exactly. people will keep on buying and then the acquisition yeah. will come along exactly. when it comes along. Do an excellent job, yeah. you know, yeah, love your customer, love your product. Yeah. Just do as good a job as you can. And, in, you know, the success will follow. And if that ends up being an exit or just a really, really good profitable Profit business, business yeah, that exactly. works, yeah, that, that's the key thing. So on that point, what's the best advice you've ever been given along your journey in business? I think one thing that I kind of go back to a little bit is something that my dad told me, which was that when you're doing a deal of any type, any transaction, any deal, it has to be a win-win and if it's not, then it's just not going to be sustainable. So I think, yeah, we've, appro- we've approached in our business life so many situations where we sort of made sure that we weren't getting too good a deal because if we wanted to be, if we wanted to make something sustainable, the other party needed to be benefiting. So I think, yeah, I think that's a kind of key one is, yeah, got to be a win-win. That's great advice. Um, so one last question for today. And thanks for being so generous with your time, Dave, as well. So what's next for Dave Berger? What's on the horizon? Any new ventures? Is the rumour true that you're going to be standing for Parliament anytime soon? We could do with some smart standing camera. <laughs> sure. I would love to do that. That looks like a horrible job, actually. <laughs> it's not um, very well paid either. No. Yeah. Um, look, for now, there's, there's actually – for, for right now, we are – I personally am getting a huge amount of enjoyment out of being able to expand Jimmy Brings 
uh, within the context of a much larger business with a much healthier balance sheet with some unbelievable assets at their disposal. So, you know, 1,300 BWS stores, a couple hundred Dan Murphy stores, this is like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't do it without it. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying that journey. And yeah, there's still a lot that I want to achieve in terms of growing the, the Jimmy Brings brand and, and kind of realizing, I guess, the, the the dream, you know, once it crystallized, which was that we could actually, you know, become the, you know, the alcohol on demand brand in Australia. So I really want to kind of realize that. We're always, you know, we're always, we're entrepreneurs. We're always looking for opportunities. There's a few other, you know, little bits and pieces bubbling here and there on the side. But for now, it's pedal to the metal, you know, growing Jimmy Brings is kind of what, what I want to do. So watch this space. Watch this space though. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting time when you've transitioned into working in that large corporate and being able to get access to all those resources and be able to, you know, sometimes execute on some of the things that you wanted to do previously but didn't necessarily have the funds to do it. Yeah, no, it's been great. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, you coming along and um, joining us on Founders On Air. And that brings us to the end of our second episode. So for all those listening, thanks for listening and feel free to subscribe on any of the uh, Apple podcasts or on Spotify. And uh, we'll have a couple of more founders to interview over the next uh, couple of weeks. We look forward to speaking to you then. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum, a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.